0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to season two of Death in Cambodia, Life in America, a podcast where I sit down with my father, Robert Chow, a survivor of one of the biggest genocides in modern history, the Khmer Rouge. He escaped to America with 10 bucks in his pocket and built a distributing company, one of the largest donut distributors in the U.S. How exactly did a poor, starving boy from Cambodia build an empire, and achieve his American dream. I'm Dorothy, his daughter, and your host for today's episode. Let's dive in. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Death in Cambodia, Life in America. Today, we have Robert here, and we are actually going to do a little bit of time travel today. We're going to take it back in the process of Robert climbing up the Northern California, traveling out of state, and moving back, and chasing Church's Chicken. And there was another avenue that he was also spending some time on this is the very start of bnh bakery distributors
1: good morning hello
0: when did you first hear about bnh and who started
1: it bnh uh stand for bun pa ho he's my uh, best friend he my uh, classmate when we were little went to school Together in Cambodia. So when the Khmeru took over, he didn't cut in uh, Khmeru's uh, time. He left Cambodian before uh, Khmeru took over.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So he got to uh, United States early than me. He didn't went through the hard time.
0: Right, right.
1: So he, he, he speaks very fluent English. And, uh, uh, of course, because he got here, was young. Mm-hmm. Around 1980, I said, I'm not sure the year really exactly, right. he, uh, he started B&H uh, distributor.
0: B&H for everybody. This is a company that distributes bakery and donut ingredients to donut shops. So when you think about all these different uh, people coming in, the refugees storming into California and starting these donut shops and the big influx of donut shops opening, you think about what the items they need. So that would be the donut mix, that would be icing, that would be uh, boxes you need to fold, to, to put the donuts in, all, all the ingredients you would need, all the things you would need to run a donut shop. So this is what B and H is and what he wanted to start.
1: Yeah, he will start very really small, and then that's what probably ran a space in Santa Ana. Mm-hmm. I believe two three thousand square foot. Uh, you know, to just selling not a complete line at the time. Mm-hmm. Maybe just paper goods, some of the flour, sugar, shortening, the item that a small item, right. and then uh, later on, I believe he. Uh, he got the contract with called Wesco. Wesco was the independent uh, manufacturer for all mixes, for donut time. mixes so bakery mixes and all at the time.
0: Right, right. Did you ever get a chance to talk to him and really ask him wh- why he really started it?
1: Yeah, I was, you know, uh, uh, earlier I mentioned, you know, when I was working with my uncle mm-hmm. called Rose Donuts in Diamond Bar, right. Southern California. hmm and uh, he heard me that I'm here in California, so uh, he would stop by, you know, and pick me up, and we went to uh, lunch uh, with his uh, sport car, his a Nissan 300, you know, I was so exciting, and uh, we had a good talk at that day, and then he mentioned and invited me to invest in his company, b h at that time, it was very really small, I said, you know, how can I invest? You know, I had even no money to afford one donut shop.
0: <laughs> this was a long, long time ago. Yeah, the very beginning.
1: Yeah, very beginning. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I was really interesting, and then uh, we call each other almost every week, mm. and then, uh, and then I start. Pay attention on his business too, and then after after I have a two store, which is the second stores in in called Frontiers in uh, San Dimas, I had some money, so i you know I invested with him mm-hmm. I said hey here's you know, whatever the percentage you want to give me because I trust him i i I, I know him for for seeing the child so
0: right right
1: and uh, i just invest in silent partner with him and uh all
0: throughout the time all that you throughout
1: were- the time, and then I stop by you know when I have time i I, <clears throat> I I go over there and you know just try to to study, try to you know uh, look at the operation and all of that
0: at that time
1: he was a one man's one, uh, <laughs> one man's band too I mean you know and yeah. uh, cannot afford uh, to hire too many uh, employees
0: right right but the motivator behind all this again i think is just because we see so many cambodians coming in at that time 1980 to 1985 all the refugees coming in and, and they were all doing donut shops that was right the- i
1: think you know about, you know that uh, i think probably a lot of people heard about the donut king uh, when he, he got out from Windshield and mm-hmm. uh, he he built a lot of donut shops for uh, uh, cambodian refugees right and then you know so I think he see the potential maybe this is gonna be gonna be a uh, big instead of just uh, buy supply from one company uh, so I think he got a uh, really really good idea. right, right? Mm-hmm. and uh, that's how he started that's right. what how how he uh, he he started being age.
0: You were, throughout the time, you, you were a silent partner pretty early on. And then when you were kind of going up 99, you were still a silent partner at the time?
1: Yes, I, okay. I still. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But I think, you know, sometimes he, yeah, he need money. I mean, of course, you know, the, the distributor, when when, when, it, uh, when the sales up, but you need, you need capital to add the inventory. Right. Yeah. I, I, I you know. A silent partner all, all the way up until uh, I believe it was 1990 uh, between 1990 to ninety three. after I met him uh, a couple years later, uh, probably around maybe 1986 87 88 somewhere around there, mm-hmm. and then he pulled in one other partner and this partner uh owned a donut shop too right. maybe one or two donut shop mm-hmm. and he was interesting in uh, you know in that business so bun i called him uh, Alo. so uh, my friend uh, said okay it's fine so uh, he sold 25% to the new uh, partner he asked me is it is it okay i said that's fine i have no problem right because I'm, i was so busy i mean on Building... Building Donut Shop. Yeah. So I think, you know, he came in, operate about, you know, they operate together about two year two or three years somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then they had an idea. I had an idea because I... I met them, you know, three, three of us, and I said, why not just go ahead and open, you know, one up north so we can take over the whole state of California.
0: Was he doing well in in, in Oh, yeah, yeah. Southern I think California? it's
1: gro- growing so, so much because I think, uh, uh, because at that time, we had uh, Vesco. We sell vesco's mix. Mm-hmm. Only Vesco.
0: Okay, I know that the names are now starting to get a little jumbled here. <laughs> so... Wesco especially if you didn't grow up in the donut industry which I really don't assume that you guys all are but if you guys weren't there's basically this big brand called Wesco which is currently owned by our competitor, Bakemark. We will get to that point a little bit later. But back in the day, Wesco was privately owned, a small manufacturer that basically manufactured the donut mixes that all of the donut shops like to use, even to this day. So back then, when my dad and his partners were running B&H at the time... They had solid contracts with this small manufacturer called Wesco that really backed them up and helped them grow.
1: And all the makers from Wesco and uh, and all the uh, new shop that popping out like mushroom, like crazy. I think you're talking about new store, maybe 20 store each month. Wow. Every month, twenty, thirty, it's just popping out every single corner in mm-hmm. Southern California. Right. So I think you know because of all of these uh, Cambodian refugee and operate donut shop at the times. The most of them not speak a word of English. Mm-hmm. So I think you know.
0: So yeah, they they did pretty well in Southern California. Yeah, they're
1: growing growing bigger and bigger. Then they bought a warehouse. I believe it's like around after four or five years later they bought a warehouse uh, together with the with the partner mm-hmm. uh, with the new partner that owned twenty five percent so then they decide to uh, to to open one in Haywood Northern California mm-hmm. so and at that they,
0: time where were you?
1: I was still in Southern California and mm-hmm. and then uh, after then I think they opened and Bun operate the one up north in Haywood, BH Haywood, and the other partner operate down south. You know, they, they 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 both still control two location.
0: What was their their goal at the time was to really control all of California,
1: right? Mm-hmm. To spread it out, and you know, so uh, they do doing really well it's in Southern California, and then mm-hmm. a lot of donut shop popping out all over the state now. It's starting from Bakersfield up to the borders of Oregon. Every single shop is all Cambodian, uh, keeping popping out, buying out, the local mom-and-pop donut shop.
0: And I think what's happening is that Southern California got so, so concentrated that everyone's just moving north now. And now, it's as it started in Southern California, now it's spreading to North even after you had built those shops, there were more coming in. Oh,
1: yeah. Definitely, it's right. more. I mean, you know, one person cannot,
0: build I all. cannot
1: build up with all the people that want the donut shop business. Right. No. So, uh, it was a great idea. It's a, It was a great plan. Mm-hmm. But after a couple of years, he didn't like it, fly back and forth, stay in Haywood for, for three, four days, five days, and go back home. You know, is getting getting tired, and then he was married and had three, ki- three kids at the time, and it was tough.
0: Yeah, he, uh, he didn't have other donut shops to run at that time, did he? Or was B&H his mm-hmm. focus at that point?
1: At that point, he only focused on b and I see, at- and B&H, okay. Yeah, but then uh, they had the partner... Is still running donut shop, but I think both of them are focused on B&H.
0: So Northern California wasn't really going as well as he expected. It was hard for him.
1: It's very tough because I think it just the, uh, didn't help the mix. Vesco cut off a B&H product. Then uh, we start to bring the uh, new mix in the call. International multi-food. So
0: yeah, and I think, you know, to give you guys a back history and maybe why Wesco would do something like that. I mean, why do you think Wesco would do something like that?
1: Well, I think they own. They have their own uh, distributor. They have their own, uh, you know... uh, Wesco do both, manufacture and...
0: Distribute.
1: Distribute too.
0: So at a certain point, when he didn't have that Wesco mix to lean on because they cut him off and they decided to distribute themselves... It was really, really tough for him.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, at that time it was a tough time because, you know, when, when customers, when all these bakers get used to that mix and now, now you, you tell them to switch it to another mix, a lot of people don't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not hard, you know, if you know how to bake, to un- understand the way to, 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 to bake the yeast tray. Right. It's not hard at all.
0: Any mix. Any mix. Yeah
1: so i think didn't went well uh, didn't go well uh, you know up north because mm-hmm. a lot of people only familiar with the uh, Vesco products right but a few a few friend that were to switch you know he decided to not to to continue to give up uh, to northern california so
0: he thought I, maybe just running southern california would be better
1: would be better
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Plus, you need to, he, leave, he still lives in Santa Ana in Southern California. At the so time. For, so it was a lot of traveling, traveling back, and for, back, and forth. back and forth. So, he, yeah, he t- talked to me and uh, I said, hey, you want to take over the um, Northern California? This, this is the time because I decided to, uh, to, to, to step back. And then I said, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll try it, you know. And uh, because I know a lot of people up north because I was uh, built quite a few stores up north.
0: Right, right.
1: And uh, I hope I can convince them to uh, use the, uh, to the new mix from international multi-food uh, mm-hmm. product, mm-hmm. international multi-food, have a complete line too. Right. Yisri cake, buttermilk old-fashioned, a complete line, chocolate cake. Uh, uh, yeah. So I took over, I believe, it, 1992. 92 What was 92 your or 93 god you know yeah 92 i believe yes when you
0: were when you were a silent partner from the very beginning did you ever think that this was ever going to be a possibility that you were going to actually run a distributing company
1: yes yes i i i did i i really interesting because i can see too i can see the potential it's so so great in the future for supply to all of these uh, Cambodian donut shop, because we speak the same language. I mean, we know the culture, and yeah, oh no, I, I, I really, I, I was really interested in uh, in that.
0: Even from the very beginning.
1: Even from the beginning, but I was so busy. I cannot do everything. Right. I'm just focused on the donut shop, and. Uh, at that time
0: so it must have been kind of exciting to have that opportunity presented to you
1: yeah i i i was exciting i was exciting and uh, i i i'm ready for it i'm willing to to try it
0: presented with this opportunity you said okay let's give it a shot you were still living in southern california at the time
1: yeah and then you know, i live in walnut and then you know and uh now i can uh have to drive to northern, northern california, california. Yep. I believe for two to three years, i driving from Southern California, leaving Sunday afternoon around one or two o'clock, drive all the way to Haywood. So we run, I rent an apartment in Haywood and then stay there uh, until Friday, Friday night after we close, sometimes five, sometimes six o'clock, sometimes seven o'clock. It depends. And then drive back to Southern California and drive back home. Back and forth every single week.
0: You only stayed at home for like one day a week then?
1: One day. Now back to, yeah, only one day, one day, one day a week.
0: I guess maybe some people would listen to this podcast and listen to your story about how you were chasing the American dream and pushing as hard as you could and how. You didn't get to see your family a whole lot.
1: That's a sad part. Uh after you getting older, you're getting things you and then you think it back. You miss all of that. That uh that's why sometimes uh you gotta have to you cannot just uh you have to sacrifice one thing to get one thing. So I think, you know, what I did was what I did, it's just I tried to chase my dream to to get the strong financial. So then, you really sacrifice, big sacrifice. The you know the family. I didn't see a kid that much at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And at the time, you that probably didn't process in your head though.
1: No, at the I time
0: didn't. you were you were you were so young and so passionate and so motivated. All you saw was another opportunity. And just let's let's do our best to chase it.
1: Well, I think that how to do with the way the, the the way the way I raised in 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 the old country too, the third mm-hmm. world country. Uh, I never see I never see my mom, my parents. You know, only see my mom and parent once once a year, mm-hmm. maybe the most twice a year, and they all they're busy with their business and all of that, and that maybe. That's what I'm getting from, too, because the culture, that's normal.
0: But you also felt lonely when, you were, when they weren't around. And there was a point in the beginning yes. where you did feel like, why did my parents leave me?
1: Yeah, I, I did. I did. But then, then you know, when, uh, when I came to the state and then uh, oh, I said, oh, I realized that uh, uh, that's okay. But that's not okay
0: this was a very, very powerful moment for me because um, I I didn't get to see my dad a whole lot growing up and neither did my siblings. And I for sure cannot be the only one out there who feel like they grew up with a little bit of resentment because they felt like they're parents were absent for a good amount of their childhood. You know, I only saw my dad probably once a week at most, you know, and I do remember chunks of times where he'd be gone for just months at a time. And that was the way I grew up. I was heavily, you know, kind of felt, I felt like I was kind of raised by an only mom because he was never really around and work always always came before the family which you know is something that I'm dealing with through therapy <laughs> months and months of therapy but beyond just therapy i feel like sitting here and actually listening to my father look at me and say in retrospect now that i am older now i can admit that maybe that wasn't the right way to go. And sitting here listening to him say that in words is really, really a different kind of feeling. It's very, very powerful. It's very healing. It's its own therapy in its own way. I just, I just keep putting myself in the, in the perspective of the listener because at this point now, we've, we've covered all these episodes about how many businesses you've got yourself into, how many things you've grown and, and pushed the limits beyond, I think, so many people would even imagine. And I just, sometimes I think, do you think that the Khmer Rouge and surviving that had a big effect on why you felt the need? It seems like you're just running, like running, 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 running this entire period.
1: Yes, it's how to do. I think you know you, uh, from your childhood too. I think you know you you always independent from, uh, from the day I born, and then you know, and then you went through the uh, Rouge the labor camp, no food, and you don't even you didn't you don't have any option, you know, and you don't even have a chance to you know to live. Sometimes it's just uh, to dream to dream, yeah. you, uh, you know. You can have a dream, but it's just that dream in, in your heart, you know, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But when you got to the you, United States, oh, my God, it just, it just, everything is freedom. Everything is open. You do whatever you want to do. You want to chase your dream. You, it, it will happen. You can feel it. You can see it. And it feels so good. It feels so good. But then you forget one thing, it's your family. That's the sad part. But at that time, I didn't really...
0: You didn't really see that?
1: See that. Yeah.
0: I think that's pretty common for a lot of people. Maybe, uh, maybe they don't see it until, until later on, but I think you're right. I, I, think, I think you're right. I think you do. I guess we only have so much time in the day.
1: Yeah, that's why you know to answer your question why 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 all of these things here I I tried this and tried that and never have fear and to try it to chase it and all of that I think that's how to deal with that and how to deal with that from your childhood from whatever you went through and from your your your, your hardship you know through Camaro experience, and all that you now when you When you have a chance, why not?
0: And I think also that kind of fearlessness comes from the fact that you already know what it's like to starve. You already know what it's like to have nothing. Yes. And so all of this stuff is just, you're you're not afraid because even if it does fail.
1: It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's not even, it's not worse than what. You've been through. You've been through, (laughs) yes. Yes.
0: I can imagine at that point, taking over a distributing company it's 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 another level to you did you think that was the peak of your success
1: no you didn't know at that time you just try the best you can you try to learn and try to uh, the key thing here you don't give up just continue to do to learn the best you can what take to move this boat forward and of course have a lot of problems a lot of things that You don't know, uh, then you just keep learning and keep uh, keep going.
0: Yay! We have finally introduced B and H Bakery Distributors to you all. This is important because um, this is the very, very beginnings of Robert's, I guess, you know, rise to the biggest thing that he's ever really done, which is manage a distributing company for bakery products. And also, I realize that maybe I've never said this out loud before, but that is what I am currently doing as my day job. Um, currently, I am, besides this podcast, taking over the family business b Bakery Distributors up in Northern California. That's where I am right now. So it all comes full circle at the end of this season. It would all lead back to good old Moa, your host. <laughs> I hope you guys have a good rest of your week. Take care. I will catch you guys next Sunday for another episode. Toodaloo.